Welcome to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. I'm Scott, and I thank you for joining us. This episode is a collaborative effort between the Right Brain Music Podcast and the World Fusion Show. The Right Brain Music Podcast celebrates improvised music, and the World Fusion Show, which is a popular community access TV program, celebrates the melding of musical traditions from around the globe. Derek Jordan is the host of the show, and he's here with me today via Zoom. With so much overlap between World Fusion and improvised music, Derek and I felt this would be a natural collaboration. We're jointly interviewing very special guests, the members of Om Shalom Trio. We'll hear generous helpings of their music and get some of the fascinating backstory on their unique hybrid of Indian, Western classical, and folk music with Jewish and Middle Eastern roots. Note that this session complements episode 58 of the World Fusion Show which you can find on the show's YouTube channel. There, you can see video footage including spontaneous live jams with Derek, a prolific World Fusion artist in his own right. Om Shalom Trio consists of Jesse Reagan Mann, Abhik Mukherjee, and Renendra Das. Jesse is an award-winning classically trained cellist originally from Chicago. She's performed at Radio City, Carnegie Hall, and the White House, on many TV shows and with artists including Adele, Beyonce, and many others. Abik is a gold medal sitarist from Calcutta. He's toured Europe, the Indian subcontinent, North and South America, and has performed with the likes of Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder. He is a director of the Chandayan Center for Indian Music. Ranendra is a master of the tabla. Born in Silet, Bangladesh, his repertoire has ranged from Indian and Western classical to jazz, hip-hop, and folk music. From their home base in New York City, the trio blends these far-reaching experiences into a distinctive sound all their own. They have a CD called Quest that captures their vibe in its many variations. Welcome, Derek and Om Shalom. I was trained in Indian classical music. I heard a little bit jazz, but when I started school uh, and heard that world music ensemble, then I st- been searching. When I met Obik, uh, Obik, I think 2010, right? 2010. Yeah, 10, exactly. We did a show, uh, of course, in traditional Indian classical uh, music in Atlanta. Then we started to talk. What do you think about this idea? Uh, try to bring Indian and Western classical music together, not mashing like a mashed potato, but it could be, both has an identity. If someone listened to it, okay, this is Indian music and this is traditional. Not traditional, a little bit of 
Western classical music, like two uh, uh, going parallel. And so this is a great idea. And then we start searching for cello player, cello player, and that's so, you know, we found someone, but she had to go abroad. So then we, we was like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Then someone, some, our mutual friend suggested, talk to Jesse. And, and when you talk to, online, we talked to Jesse and she is in like, it's, it's like a, we knew each other long, like past life or something. They have the same mentality. And that's, you know, and that's where we started. Derek, I want to ask you, because you, you joined the trio, could you say a word or two about the chemistry of the trio as you experienced it as a musician? Yeah, sure. You know, um, I, I do this a lot, and I've done a lot of jamming and improvising over the years with many people in many settings and many instruments and styles and, you know, all that stuff. And so I'm pretty used to flowing in and out of situations. Um, this was just as easy as it gets to work with these three without any rehearsal, really any discussion <laughs> about what we were about to do. We just sort of went for it. thinking this word tradition really struck me because I feel like we have so many traditions that we're actually bringing and um, as someone who is trained um, as a classical cellist I feel like I have this very strict regimented classical music um, tradition that I'm bringing and then there's this idea of Jewish music and Jewish music's not written down it's actually um, in Hebrew it's Baal Peh it's actually it's transferred oral tradition oral tradition exactly and which is very similar to the indian tradition that i i know Abik will talk about but um but it's very much transferred and almost like the game of telephone you know it's like do we really know how it was sung in the 15th century <laughs> not particularly but yes we do know that um that it was um so i feel like bringing in each of those traditions is actually really rich and it, it's a really amazingly rich component to what we do. Uh, Ranindra, do you want to say anything? What an, I'll say, what did you say? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
so and also uh, as jesse um, mentioned and just to continue with the thing indian music is the same way it's oral tradition so and that's the reason the music itself in texture if you uh, look at it it's very fluid so it can mingle with uh, anything till i would say hungary or poland then it becomes suddenly rigid in right it's become because everything is recorded in history there it's very formative organized and from there it's a little bit of the folk music general from india to you know arabia to israel and to turkey and onwards if you look at the map you know it's it's pretty much fluid in nature it's it's not a problem if we uh, we can mingle with each other even without talking we can play the music and it will mix big and then gradually some of the music of the folk it became classical like in india that happened from folk music classical came out and so even when i worked with some of the arabic musician you know the folk music and uh, the classical has been extracted from it the classical arabian music is little bit different but the use of like say the quarter tones and all these things which we also have and also when you listen to the jewish music it's 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 so much similar to so many ragas in structure and even in the sentiments uh, or should i use the word emotion because yes i actually emotionally so so similar and we try to select those and try to compose through that so jesse and kumar does most of the work i just try to pretend that i'm doing something but i follow that so we uh, they find music and then uh, we play together and now we can find out okay this uh, uh, has some similarities or resemblances with this sort of a uh, structure of a raga we have so let's take out from the repertoire whatever compositions we have or we create some new and then mix it and then try to work it out also if you uh, just i want to add if you go back to medieval music it is same as like a there wasn't any structure all able to mono in a one line melody like what we do or you know so that also there is there are some similarities if, you know in the western world So how do you guys see incorporating that chordal structure uh and and uh, expanded harmony into your music? So yeah, I also studied western music, classical music in school. Um so I have as a you know uh figure based or counterpoint 
called Har- Harmony. And as I said, I, I was influenced by Bar- Bella Bartok. So when I was that counterpoint or figure was introduced in, 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 to me in school, my, I, my thought process started, how can I take the folk music and how can I organize in harmonic way or two or three part voice line or two part, part counterpoint. Then luckily when I talk to my teacher and explain how can you do this, is even, you know, chord progressions or one line melody, how can you make it in harmonic way? And of, of course, Jesse, since Jesse being uh, in training Western classical and, and she does improvisation, she also understand how we, you know, in that, that direction. And I think, I, I think Obik also, we can have a conversation three ways, how to make it happen like that way, in, in harmonic or counterpoint. I was just going to kind of piggyback on that, that, um, that I'm also a Baroque cellist, and so I, I often think in bass lines and just as other training, thinking in melody. So I feel like there's a lot of times in what we do where it's like I'm, I'm the bass and then other times I'm the melody. And so it's kind of oscillating between those roles. Um, and it's a, it's a very comfortable place for me, so I'm, I'm really happy to do that in this is ensemble. Um, but it is an interesting way. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it, um, but it is um, a really fun way of, of kind of oscillating between baseline and melody. And uh, to continue with it, Derek, I think uh, from my point of view as an Indian raga music guy, so I, I think that's what also we wanted to know. Yes, harmony is not our forte. I know it's only melody which goes on, but every raga also has a chord structure. When a melody Jesse is playing and which are, I try to give a backup chord structure as much as provided within the framework and the limitations of our music. So each music has its limitation, has its own strong points. I know harmony and chord wise, because our music is very much based on a fixed tonic and revolves around it, the um, idea of harmony is not very much applicable to it. But we try to um, provide, to give it a body, to give a music a body, a harmony is very much needed. So that's the what I try to provide with the chords that are applicable within the span uh, of the notes in the raga that is used.
as i said that i am the most lazy person of the group they find out the melody if it's a jewish melody we have to work it on and then we sit with it and uh, we try to take out um, some composition and try to find similarity or any link that we have uh, with uh, indian music be it folk be it classical and then try to uh, join together and then gradually with time uh, we start rehearsing and things it's like um, like 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 blocks of puzzles it it all falls in place gradually
Jesse, in Derek's interview on the World Fusion Show, you talked about Baroque music and that background, and you linked it to improvisation. I think that when I really got interested in Baroque music, just this fascinating idea. I mean, you've been trained to read the notes on the page, interpret the notes on the page. It has this marking. It looks like that. It has this tempo. It has this dynamic. It has its, how do you interpret what is written on the page? And for the first time, I felt like I was told to interpret what's not on the page. Or here's these markings that you now need to create something that's not written down. And I felt like that was just such a broad spectrum. And I feel like there was a moment um, when I was in college and I was really learning and working with some really fantastic, fantastic people. And I'm so grateful for that, that they were like, well, but all of these cadenzas, they were never written down. And I'm like, they were never written down? And it felt like it was this moment that was like, well, but they're written out. Well, no, that was something that the player would would then the performer would then create um, as their musical expression you have something that's written and then something that you create and I felt like there was this moment that my mind was just blown and I was just like wow so there's all of this expansiveness since I was a little girl I was um, I had always played by ear actually um, even as I was learning and I grew up in the Suzuki method which is fantastic and one of the really strong parts of the method is really being able to listen. I think, you know, many people have forgotten or never knew that classical music and all of the great composers were amazing improvisers and most of them even performed Beethoven, Mozart and Chopin. They performed these improvisations and would, you know, they were as important to them and I think to their audiences in terms of being in the moment and you know that connection with that spontaneity of inspiration in music that was integrated into classical music so-called it's unfortunately well maybe coming back but it's been long forgotten and this goes far beyond the cadenza structure that you were talking about it was really an integral part of classical performance there are rules of different ragas of in ascending and descending and such and such notes can be used, such and such phrases can be used and these things cannot be used. We are trained to use those phrases continuously when we were, when we were kids and then how to weave uh, you know, the music around that phrase, those phrases. That's one sort of uh, improvisation. Second sort of improvisation that we learn is note to note improvisation so if we take two notes say uh, one two three and name them one two three there can be six sets of very straight combination sa re ga if we take the notes it could be one two three one three two two one three two three one three two one three two, uh, three one two so six combinations so when you add another note to it it becomes 24 so and then and and add another note it becomes 720 so it goes on increasing and this is one way another way is one note have one note and uh, add keep on emphasizing that note with an expression that's an expression wise improvisation 
uh, that I create an expression or a melody line and then keep on adding before or at the end of it. And then the final expression, when you master these two, then comes the last one that you are, you are the creator at that point. And you can use whatever ornamentation, whatever phrases you want. But yet, your music should be telling a story. It's like a storytelling. So that each individual music, each expression is different because we are different individuals. Our heart will speak our music. Our music will be reflection of us. So that's how we are taught. I love this idea that musicians are storytellers, uh, even yeah. in instrumental music, and that the story is yours, unique. Stories, exactly. And each story is different. Each day is different. We might be playing the same melody for three days, and three days will be three different story because our mind has changed, you know, it's, it's the psychology, yeah, I, I could be in a sad state while playing, I could be in a happy state while playing. So there comes the rasa theory of uh, Indian music, which talks about the emotional aspect of music. Since you are the percussionist of the group and aren't playing a melodic instrument, when you do your own composition, what do you use? Do you use an instrument like a, a, your voice or harmonium or keyboard or something to create melody? Mostly voice and piano. Um, I try to uh, sing it to Obik and, and Jesse, but I also try to write it down. Like, he has a very good voice, by the way. Thank you. Uh, mostly, I, I am singing comfortably in, in the bathroom, not in public. <laughs> I know, big said it, but you know. Um, so yeah, I try to write as simple as um, uh, Western rotation. But most, uh, when I bring it to the, the melody to Obik and Jesse, I sing it mostly. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't know um, this about training for Indian, Bangladesh, tabla players, that you have a vocal, a system of vocal percussion that you were taught conical. Is that something that you were trained in? I did. I, I mean, I'm still, of course, I'm still learning. But I, as voice, you know, I, my classical Indian training started very late, even though I was training mostly, I grew up with, uh, semi-classical and folk tradition. Um, growing up, people used to come to our place and sing. And the, my hometown is really rich in, in folk, folk tradition. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's like a not classically or sort of some sort of form of training to sing. You know, I feel like I'm singing, you know, walking or people are catching fish like a fisherman they're singing farmers they're singing 
So I think the timbres are actually quite similar um, in, in a way that um, almost like when you have voices that are speaking together, that sometimes you're listening to people's voices and you're like, oh, wow, I just like hearing you speak. And even though their voices might be higher or lower, that they, they tend to, to work well together. And um, because Abik is a fully plucked string instrument and I have this ability to go back and forth, um, I don't usually do much pizzicato just because he's taking that role. Um, and while I could also, and both of us could be per percussive, we really leave most of that to Renendra. Um, and I feel like um, while we have the ability to have lots of different roles, that I, I think that we move around in different places so that um, we do complement what's coming to the table in this particular group. And I think it's also that idea of being a sensitive musician and really just knowing that when Renendra has a solo, you know, it's like we might have some certain things in the background that are happening, but we're still going to keep things moving. issue that's come up lately in the world music, world fusion world, which is this idea of cultural appropriation. That's a wonderful and a very difficult question to answer. Just at the beginning, I must say, let's go back to the history a little bit. And when music started with the trade routes, the Silk Route, and I, I'm talking about only Asia and Europe in that part, you know, the, that part of the known world, so-called. When the, uh, from China to India to Arabia to Europe, this trade route started. First it was Rome and Greece, first Greece and then Rome. And this trade route, there were little, little tribes playing their own music with their own instruments. And then they mingled with other ones while that, and then they, those instruments and their music and their good qualities, everything, they took as much as they can. And the music kept on adding up. So this mixing has always happened. And sometimes those music were sold by street players playing music in those days must have been paid or else they wouldn't have done music. Artists were paid. So uh, that's how the cultural appropriation could have started then only, right? As far as musical perspective. But now I say an art form like yoga. It comes to a country here or in Europe, it goes it takes a different form and art is, is so dynamic in nature, it's bound to take a different form. So I don't think it as like, uh, you know, all culture it's like taking away the thing and uh, branding it and in a new way. Yes, it has always been. If historically speaking, those days records were not there. These days we are keeping a record. That's why the question arises. But music has to be, if music is so dynamic art is dynamic so mentality of artists who are performing should also be dynamic 
world is also going smaller, right? In a way, technologically, you can. It was in, you can you know you can nowadays you can click it, it can go anywhere in this world. So you know what's happening in the other world, music and culture, everything. So why not bringing that to the table and know about other tradition and culture, educate ourselves, so there shouldn't be any division between us, mm. right? So that's I just want to add that. Yeah. Strike me about Om Shalom. First, their comfort level in taking traditional roots in new and unfamiliar directions. Second, how easily the strands of their music weave together into a common voice. And third, the sheer joy they get in making this music. Learn more about Om Shalom Trio and their CD at omshalomtrio.com. Visit the World Fusion Show on YouTube to see Derek's TV interview of the trio, as well as many other fascinating guests. Let's close with one of the trio's live improvised jams with Derek from the World Fusion Show.
You've been listening to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. You can visit us at rightbrainrecords.com. Farewell for now. Join us next time. Thank <laughs> you.